Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights C-Suite Conversations. I'm your host, John McIndoe, Chief Marketing Officer here at IRI. IRI integrates big data, predictive analytics, and forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. We also share our thought leadership with the industry at large with the goal of addressing and tackling key challenges within our industry. Our special C-Suite Conversation Series features notable leaders talking about the future of CPG and retail. In this episode of C-Suite Conversations, we're joined today by Fabian Garcia, President of Unilever North America. Fabian joined Unilever one year ago at a most pivotal time in CPG history, not to mention global history. Fabian's 40-year career spans working for some of the most prestigious brands around the world, including as president and CEO of Revlon and a variety of senior leadership positions at Colgate-Palmolive and Procter & Gamble. In early March of 2020, just weeks into his new role, Fabian announced Unilever's first pandemic initiatives, dubbed United for America, which included an $8 million donation to Feeding America, donations of masks to hospitals to safeguard healthcare professionals, and announcing May 21 as a day of service, providing an additional $12 million in support and encouraging employees to volunteer. All marketing spend on that day was actually dedicated to nonprofits on the front lines. In today's conversation, we'll be learning more about Fabian's dramatic onboarding at Unilever and how his personal mission of social justice and sustainability are the perfect fit for Unilever North America. Leading today's conversation is IRI's president and CEO, Andrew Appel, and IRI's team lead for Unilever, Jen Hetrick. Andrew and Jen, over to you. Thanks, John. Thanks. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you, Fabian. And um, <laughs> I feel like I may have been one of the first three people you spoke to on your first day because <laughs> we've been hanging out together for the last year trying to, to be helpful to each other and to help Unilever, which is such a great company, navigate this unprecedented um, pandemic. But I'd love to start with just a little bit about you and, um, you know, how you ended up in the job with Unilever and what attracted you to the organization and, and, and what just some of your thinking and, you know, your career ending up in such a fantastic organization with such great social missions. Well, yeah, thank you, Andrew. Indeed, you were one of the first ones I met. And, uh, you know, little we knew what the the year was bringing for us. So uh, anyway, first of all, let me start by say, saying thank you to you, Jennifer, and the team uh, that is uh, hosting me today. It's a real pleasure to be here and share with you my own personal experiences uh, that uh, span through four decades of uh, CPG, but more importantly, the past year, which probably will have been the most intense. Let me start by saying that uh, when I left Revlon, I uh, was pondering uh, retirement on the one hand, advisorship, advisorships on the other hand, uh, becoming a consultant. But uh, I came to realize kind of quickly that I needed to have my hands on an operation. I like to have impact and I like to do that at scale. 
And uh, the other thing that I really look for is uh, companies that have a meaning and a purpose. Because after you've worked so many years, you want to lead in a company where you share the values of the people, you share the mission of the company, and you wake up every morning thinking that you're going to make the world a little better uh, within your own uh, your own. Uh, area of influence. So uh, I remember when the headhunter called me and said, the first thing she said to me was, please don't hang up, listen to this. And uh, she went on to tell me the story about Unilever. And uh, frankly, this was a very easy decision because as a competitor to Unilever, I always admire them. I think Unilever uh, has pioneered in the area of having a clear mission to impact the world, uh, talk about responsible capitalism, and uh, a leading a the categories where they compete, but demonstrating to the world that you can actually uh, do well and do good for the world. So uh, that decision was easy. Uh, I thought the company um, had a challenge in North America. Basically, it hadn't grown for the prior eight years, and I thought that was the perfect combination. On the one hand, a great business challenge, and on the other hand, an absolute great company with great purpose, with a great brands, and ultimately an organization and resources that could be uh, brought to bear for growth. So uh, that's what brought me here. And frankly, uh, as the pandemic started, the authenticity of these values came to play because I didn't have to explain to people what was the right thing to do. It was very clear we have three objectives, the safety of our people, the continuity of our business and the impact that we had in our communities. So very early on, um, in uh, there was a global declaration of this is what we're going to do uh, coming from Alan Jobe and he effectively said worldwide, we will do $100 million worth of donations. And we thought we could do something uh, different here in the US because uh, giving money is the easy way to help the more personal way to help is to put your personal time and do something special for the communities where you compete. And that's uh, the beginning of what was narrated in the, at, the, at the introduction. The United for America movement was all about uh, putting our own time on the 21st of May. And everything that we produce that day, every dollar that we uh, spend in advertising, and even within the circumstances of the lockdown at the time, virtual volunteering, uh, we mobilized our people and people from a hundred of our partners to do something, including IRI, of course, I remember that. Uh, so thank you once again for your help in that area. But it, it was an absolutely terrific thing. We ended up with the most, uh, uh, the, the day with the highest number of volunteering hours in the history of the company worldwide. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're very proud of what we did, but as always, there's a lot more to do. Your arrival at Unilever was within weeks of the pandemic and maybe spend some time because we we spent a lot of time together and I'm you know I have been enjoyed and impressed the conversations we've had about how they've sequenced themselves through the challenges of the last nine months I'd love to hear a little bit about your learnings through it your how you guided the such an such a um large organization so nimbly to be honest with you uh, well thank you for that i think uh there's many let me let me reflect on that for a moment because i think the first thing that i learned is you need to have clarity 
you need to have clarity of objectives, you need to have clarity of purpose, and you need to have clarity of communication. And uh, when it came to clarity of objectives, it was like crystal clear, the three things I just mentioned, safety of our people, continuity of our business, and uh, impact on our communities. When it came to um, the clarity of communications, we realized very quickly that we needed to speak to people frequently. And those days frequently meant daily, uh, then weekly, and we needed to bring to them a message of we will of transparency. And I remember that vividly that, that we used a simple phrase to say to people, we will tell you what we know when we know it, even if what we will tell you is that we don't know. And uh, if you recall the early days of the pandemic where uh, the narrative was very much about uncertainty. And uh, that's this notion of giving people clarity through an uncertainty gives people a sense of assurance that the management is sincere, authentic, and obviously telling them the truth. And that worked really, really well in telling people what they needed to know. Uh, the other thing that I found very interesting when it came to clarity was uh, giving people clarity on expectations. Hmm. So we will say by the, in the next 90 days, we want to try to tell you uh, First of all, whether we are going to stay in uh, working remote for those that could work remote yeah. for an extended yeah. period of time, as opposed to, I will tell you this month what's going to happen next month. We thought the impact on the on the lives of people was really important. Uh, when it came to people in our factories, we gave them certainty that we will do everything we could to keep them safe. So we gave them uh PPEs, we ensure that everybody had temperature checks coming in. We made sure that everybody had uh, a, a questionnaire declaring who they had been with so we could do contact tracing. So a, a plethora of measures to ensure that people knew that uh, our plants were safe, our manufacturing facilities, as well as the, the uh, distribution centers and what have you. All in all, this, this notion of clarity and transparency was a... Um, quite important for us. And I will just say that uh, my experience uh, having worked many times in crisis types helped. I mean, I've gone through a few earthquakes. I've gone through a couple, I went through SARS a couple of times when I, I was in uh, one of my prior employers as head of Asia. I had been through MERS and uh, as a Latin American national from Venezuela, I have seen inflation, recessions, uh, a coups, a few of these events that prepare you to believe in your instincts, and uh, you have almost like a like an automatic response to these kind of events that is framed within those three objectives. So uh, it it was a time of learning. I would also say to you because uh, the the pandemic was very different than any one experience that I had had before in the in the sense that it was global for the first time. And the impact we now know it, but uh, I remember watching television in April and just thinking, we don't really know how long this is going to last, or is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? You had a lot of yeah. different information. So, anyway, you know the story very well. The other thing that I found fascinating, and this is not uh, paid advertising, but this notion of uh, the partnership with you guys, with IRI. You know, this is the first time in my career that I have had at my disposal the kind of resources that you bring to bear. And you guys were at the forefront of what was happening with consumers. Uh, 
because of course you have the information live, literally real time. And we, uh, for those viewers, perhaps one of the things that we put in place that we haven't talked about is this monthly conversations where you would come to us to say, this is what we're learning. Sometimes I will pose a question to you to, to ask you, tell me what's happening with consumer habits. Tell me what's happening with people consuming more at home. Tell me what's happening with e-commerce or tell me what's happening with people becoming cash trapped. And you had the insights, you had the data, you had the frontline understanding of what was going on. So those monthly reviews, I remember they all had the same pattern. You had 30 slides. We went through the first five and we just talked to the discussions and kept going at the, why do you think this is happening? And what is, give me please some uh, further insight. And right after I hung up with you, I will pick up the phone, talk to Liz in our CMI department or talk to our uh, business leaders and say, guys, you need to get on to this program because uh, that is the best prediction I could find of what was about to happen. So um, in this public forum, I want to say thank you because what you did for us was absolutely outstanding. And I know that we um, have now established a tradition. So when a month goes by and I don't talk to you, I feel like I am missing something. So I think our next meeting is in a week, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) But we appreciate the partnership. To give you credit, like you, um, embrace the themes as they, you know, we were trying to get, stay like, you know, a month ahead of you, right? And so the first conversation was on supply chain. The second conversation was on new buyers. The third conversation was on assortment. The fourth conversation was e-commerce. And I am, um, you know, the openness, right? You know, we get the privilege over our long careers to work with a lot of senior leaders. And the, you display a desire to learn and then decide mm-hmm. and, and take action. with yeah and and, um, and that really i think i assumed and i could feel it through your organization an organization i had been around for a year before you arrived you you were able to initiate a set of decisions and pace i think against that backdrop of safety of the people you know, do the right thing by the consumer and the brands. But um, the organization for its scale was was probably the most decisive and fast paced moving because of that openness to hear, you know, information and then make decisions quickly. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, you know, in uh, when I was interviewing with the company and trying to understand this enigma as to why does a company with the best brands and great resources not growing faster, uh, part of the conversation at the time was about, well, we have silos and we have procedures and we have uh, a, um, you know, I'm going to call it a more conservative uh, style uh, where people are, people wear, um, I, I don't want to say um, conformed, but more um, they were cruising. That was some of the narrative uh, with how we were doing things. And, uh, you know, crisis cannot be squandered. And the crisis provoked uh, a need for us to, first of all, cut uh, all these silos and become more of an enterprise-centric uh, unit. Uh, so it's not about the beauty and personal care or the food or the home care business. It's about the 
Unilever North America enterprise and how we could grow much faster by growing the units that were growing and uh, reallocating resources from those that were not growing as fast. And we had categories, as you know very well, that were booming and still are booming because of course, as I, as I simplistically put it, we sell soap, we sell soup, and we sell cleaning products. And some of those are, are just uh, benefiting from the consumer changes. But we also had other categories like uh, the other ones where the markets were not growing as much because people were at home and we were not enjoying those different occasions associated with the category usage. So um, the, we were in a way because of the crisis, we, we, we needed to be faster and we needed to be yeah. focused on the one Unilever as opposed to the three divisions. That's one thing. And the other thing I would say is that uh, having a combination of experience and data and insights allowed us to take decisions that uh, proved to be right in the marketplace. And uh, we were just uh, trying to stay one step ahead. That's the other big lesson here, which is you were a month ahead of us. We were trying to catch up with you, but we were leaving a lot of people behind because we were moving faster than many. And uh, I am sure everybody has heard about that story about it doesn't matter how fast you run, you just need to run faster than the other guy. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is what yeah. the, so like the bear is chasing you. So <laughs> that, that is uh, how I, I now reflect back and say, how do we keep these practices? Yeah. Decision-making, agility, as we characterized it internally, how do we keep the elephant dancing? Because uh, we were dancing... Uh, real well and real fast. Oh, by the way, we're still dancing. <laughs> Jennifer, do you want to yeah. you wanted to talk a little bit about um, the role of yeah. diversity and women in the organization? I can come back to that this question of how do you keep the elephants dancing because I think it's a fascinating question. At the end of a long year, how do we, you know, as leaders, you know, rev everybody up to do it again? But sure. you, Jennifer. Yeah, I mean, when I think about Unilever, the office just is a, a vision of inclusivity. And Unilever was recently named one of the top 10 companies for executive women by Working Mother Media. And you were quoted even as saying that you're trying to create an environment that, that breeds inclusivity. Can you talk about some of your goals in that area? Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Um, so I um, let me frame this first uh from a personal point of view, and then I'll uh, I'll talk a bit about uh, what we're trying to do, what we have achieved, and what's next. So, um, obviously, Unilever um, is a is a pioneer in sustainability, but not just environmental sustainability, but inclusivity as well and social responsibility. And when it came to inclusivity, the company declared early on that it wanted to have gender balance. It took eight years for us to get to where we are now. And of course, these recognitions are not only uh, great for the company, but are a tribute to a very deliberate effort to get here. And my own objective for the time I am going to be in this company is to lead a framework where the company will grow uh, mid-single digits uh, compound regularly and consistently over time, even after I leave. And second, that I leave behind the most inclusive, diverse, and agile company in North America. Now, I put those two, uh, those two declarations out there because I think it's important to move up from a very high level that we already have when it comes to inclusivity. So gender equality has been a, a, a 
achieved already across the company. We have reached our goal of 50% of managerial roles across Unilever's global business being represented by women. We are even higher in North America. And uh, we had achieved that goal here a couple of years before the rest of the world. So uh, there is a lot more behind inclusivity that we have achieved. So we have uh, made progress with parental leave family support and job flexibility to offer a work environment where women thrive. So this is all terrific, but uh, uh, this is just one sliver of what we have to do. The next step is uh, uh, so uh, racial inclusivity. So it's, uh, it's about uh, achieving a profile of our workforce and our executives that represents the communities where we uh, market and live. And that's an area that we need to make a lot of progress with African-Americans, Latinx, Asian-Americans. And uh, we have already for the first time ever in the history of the company disclosed where we are. And we have declared that we need to achieve those goals within the next three to five years. Now, this is more complex, I believe, than the global programs will call for because uh, obviously we want to be inclusive around the world, but here that matters a lot. So uh, there are many campaigns that we need to put in place uh, to do this, to achieve that. So we have uh, started up uh, programs for uh, training programs for inclusion and uh, establishing leadership accountability. We are aiming to achieve a workforce that represents those populations, as I said, within three years. We're trying to ensure that uh, we are buying uh, globally, $2 billion from companies that are owned by minority owners. And here in the U.S., we have made progress. That number was about uh, 50 million moving into 150. And we're taking that number to about half a billion within uh, the next three years, uh, all the way up to 2025. And as a, one of the largest advertisers in the world, we want to make sure that what we are communicating with the consumer represents the consumer. So we need to make sure that uh, all of our advertising out there is reflective of the consumers to whom we market our brands. So there is a lot going on here, and uh, I uh, we have made this commitment uh, internally, obviously, as well as externally. We have just appointed a diversity and inclusion leader that has over 20 years of experience in the U.S. Uh, her name is... Uh, uh, Tish, Tish has joined us since December and she's already making a great difference. So uh, I am encouraged by the progress. I am more encouraged by the commitment. And I, I am even more encouraged at the fact that when this company says we're going to achieve something, uh, we will. So uh, oh. thank you for the question because this is critical for us as a company, but critical for us as a society. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, And, and first, just congratulations on achieving so much already. I hope that it becomes the standard instead of the the goal that that everybody's achieved trying to achieve. You're you're paving the way, and you'll accomplish those goals that you've set out um, that are so important. And I think it's important to see how you've expanded it beyond just your own workforce. Right? It touches every piece of of your operations, and we see that even in the United for America campaign that you mentioned earlier, where you that partnership to include a partnership with Luminary and providing pandemic relief to women-owned businesses. You're helping to close an education gap in the country. Can you expand a little bit more on, on that partnership and component to yeah. 
So thank, yeah, thank you for that. So United for America started up with uh, the day of volunteering that I spoke about on May 21st. And that was all about donations and uh, helping uh, people get food on their tables in the very beginning. And uh, the second phase of the pandemic, we wanted to be more surgical with our approach. And uh, there were three specific areas that we wanted to uh, focus on. The first one was the so-called she session, and it has a lot to do with this notion of inclusion, but the, we all have seen the statistics and uh, women and people of color and women of color have been uh, most hardly hit by the pandemic than any other group. So this notion of the she session was something that we needed to partner with someone that provided resources for women or businesses owned by women. And that's where Luminary came in. So Luminary is led by a, a woman by the name of Kate Lucio. She's brilliant. And her mission in life, uh, she has created this, we call it a hub, uh, is, a, is a network of relationships, uh, training, capability creation. Uh, it's, a, it's a network where women go in to try to find answers to what they need to do to thrive in their businesses and in their careers. Uh, so we provided funds for 250 annual fellowships to women-owned businesses with the objective that at least 50% of them went to women of color. I think the number at the end went all the way up to about 68%. So mm. that, was, uh, that was well done. We gave them resources that they needed to pivot and grow their business. So uh, women who were owning businesses that had cash issues needed to know what to do to survive and they could find the answers uh, in Luminary. So I had the distinct pleasure of uh, meeting Kate uh, virtually, of course. And when you talk to her, you uh, you understand what she has achieved throughout her life uh, from investment banker to empowering uh, thousands of women to uh, continue to thrive in the business world. So that was one focus. The other focus was to enable, enable uh, uh, kids to connect to education by either helping them to get uh, the, the gadgets like uh, iPhones or computers or even access to Wi-Fi so they could continue their education and those unprivileged families that do not have access to remote education so they, don't, they were not left behind. And the third area, which is... Uh, an area that remains critical for everybody is to put food on the table and continue to uh, give donations of products. In the second phase of United for America, we partner uh, with our retail partners, many of all of whom you know, uh, yeah. who helped us facilitate the bringing uh, change to those last latter two areas that I mentioned, uh, to individual customers of theirs and consumers of ours. Uh, so that we can make a difference in their lives. So that was the second phase. That's great. Three critical areas during the pandemic, for sure. Do you feel like you're a better organization because of um, so much commitment to diversity and inclusion? Do you feel like your team members, you know, are more open to the, you know, closer to the evolution and revolutions going on in American society and other places? I will uh, I will talk about revolutions in another forum, but let's take to the let's stick to the evolutions. <laughs> but I, I will tell you one thing about this organization and uh, this organization. People who work here uh, are connected to our mission. They many of them are here because of that mission, and 
our, the, the way I will describe our organization is that there is an elevated level of engagement, commitment, and meaning to people who work here. And that is a catalyst of uh, morale, motivation, uh, and they all understand that this is not just about making money and driving your EBITDA. So it is important that you grow and drive your EBITDA so your impact can be even larger. And that's where people understand really clearly. But it is a, it is a good place to come to work every morning or to turn on your computer every morning. Uh, to, and you can see it in people's faces when uh, you know we completed and celebrated the achievements of United for America. You know, teary eyes, people completely uh, proud uh, of sharing with their families what they were making happen in the communities where they live. So uh, that's that's a very good thing to see. Yeah, and so, some of your brands are very centered on specific purposes. Like the first one that comes to mind for me is Love Beauty Planet, which is a brand that I love and uh, a popular one that was even IRI's new product pace setter in 2018. The brand stands for sustainability, small acts of love, and beauty, obviously. You've got a new brand that also has a purpose that you recently launched with Walmart called Find Your Happy Place. Tell us more about that brand and that partnership. Yeah, thank you. So uh, first of all, uh, uh, Love, Beauty, and Planet is a great example of the power of the people of Unilever and how they bring the power of mission to to the market and uh, this brand is exactly as you have narrated is a brand that uh, it's all about mission and purpose and uh, uh, happy place or find your happy place is a brand we created with uh, Walmart and uh, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Latrice Walkins and her team in Walmart because they have been uh, a, a partner with us for co-development of brands with purpose and brands that meet a specific consumer need. So Finding Your Happy Place is a very timely brand, a very timely innovation, because now that we're all trapped in our homes, uh, trying to uh, be as safe as we can be, everybody needs a little bit of time to get pampered and find their happy place for relaxation and uh, getting away from the tribulations that have been associated with COVID. So uh, we develop a full range of new products uh, that offer aromatherapy, body care products, and candles at an affordable price. And that was a, an opportunity for Walmart to attract consumers from that were buying those products premium looking, but at higher price points in other more premium retailers. So a full win-win uh, solution to a business opportunity that had a, a an impact on people's lives. And Walmart consumers, obviously, uh, um, equal than many others, needed to have that opportunity to feel relaxed and escape into their happy place, the tribulations of this pandemic. So switching gears a little bit, Fabian, since we, um, we, I feel like I spent 2020 on the journey with you. Um, as you reflect upon, you know, the, the second half of the year, you know, I think the third quarter, second quarter was so much about safety and protection of your workers and, and just, you know, trying to get our arms around the pandemic, but what are some things that you look back and thought those were some good decisions, right? We, we made progress in areas that are important to the organization 
from an operational standpoint and some that as you sit here in late January, you're like, um, I think we need to put more emphasis on this now. We might have missed it a little bit. You know, however you want to characterize it, the top five things that worked, you clearly um, moved at a pace as an organization that was very impressive. And I can, you know, I have my lens because we went through it together. But I'd be interested in your your view of what uh, what really worked well and what, um, you know, what didn't quite hit the mark. You, you're asking me from a category point of view, from an innovation uh, point of view, or over innovation, buyers, you know, uh, you know, we had so many, you know, uh, supp- you know, supply, buyers, retailers, consumers always, uh, you know, did you Oh, act over innovate or under innovate as the year went on. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I think there is a, this is a, a complex question because it's multidimensional. So um, let me start perhaps with the organization. We talked a bit about that clarity and transparency we want to keep. And that's obviously something that I think we hit the mark with it. Uh, I think from an organizational point of view, we also eliminated a lot of unnecessary work. And we were really focused on the three objectives I narrated in the beginning. And that gave clarity to people. And we focused on the bigger things and the bigger clients. So we articulate now part of our strategies to win big with our big brands and our big customers. Another thing that uh, hit the mark was uh, our ability to explode e-commerce. And uh, you and I talked in during many meetings about the, how to continue to drive our e-commerce business ahead of the market. 70% of our business in e-commerce is uh, winning uh, market share. So that has been a, a big win for us. And uh, it's, uh, it's one area where we needed to learn as we went. The good news is we had a great infrastructure, but that infrastructure had not been put into play at the kind of standard of yeah. operating level that was required this year. Yeah. And it's not just one retailer or one business model, it's all of them, perhaps with the exception of direct to consumer. That although it grew, it didn't grow as, as fast, but we're talking high triple digits uh, for uh, turnover increases in, in uh, e-commerce. And uh, that is something that we need to continue to build because the expectation obviously is now that the consumer has pivoted up to uh, not just the safety, but the convenience, of course, uh, of e-commerce, that promised land of e-commerce becoming 30% of retail is not far-fetched anymore. So uh, that's where we're going. Perhaps the 30% is different by category, but we're seeing the number already in some of our own categories. So that's, uh, that's something that worked very well. Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, retailers, the one thing that I think hit the mark is the relationship that we were able to forge with our retailers. And I don't want to single one out in particular because all of them uh, partner with us as the market leader in the categories where we compete to help grow those categories and to also bring to them solutions quickly to problems and challenges they were all having that were all different. Because uh, just to mention one, we were selling a lot of ice cream off season. Uh, so some some people were just uh, uh, needing a lot more product. We needed to pivot our resources to supply. Ben and Jerry had a historical year. We're getting to a billion dollar in retail. I mean, these are big numbers and uh, lots of uh, 
uh, pints of ice cream that have left out the door. Uh, the other thing, of course, is if you think about uh, COVID, COVID accelerated trends more than uh, it changed trends. So one trend, for example, that it accelerated was the plant-based uh, food consumption. So here we are launching vegan ice cream, vegan mayonnaise, and uh, making sure that we are responding to those trends that are now way more important than they were before. So those things hit the mark. I would say that part of our um, uh, innovation in deodorant didn't hit the mark because the consumer was not in the market. So uh, we now need to relaunch some of that innovation, help the consumer come back. And as mobility and uh, uh, I want to call it normalcy starts to return, we as the market leader and the category leader need to make sure we bring the consumption levels back to what they were before COVID. And of course, we have a program to do that. And last but not least is... Uh, not just uh, plant-based, but the notion of uh, healthier eating and more natural eating, all those trends are now reflected in innovation. And in food innovation, we have a much faster pace of bringing things to the market. So um, I feel good about the balance between how many hit the mark, and how many didn't hit the mark. Yeah. When we were going to uh, release results uh, for the fourth quarter and the year on the the. 4th of February. So so please be attentive to that because I will give you a flavor for uh, the kind of achievements that we uh, put on the board in uh, in North America. But they all reflect this balance that I'm talking about here that we got a lot of things right uh, and a few things to fix. Uh, the one thing I would also say is uh, I need to give credit to the supply chain because as you said very well, the second it all started the third week of March. I will not I will not forget that. You know, we were growing single digit January and February, and then everything broke loose. And uh, it's one of those um, black swan events uh, where you don't believe the amount, the, the the magnitude of the increases that uh, we experienced until they were real and they were sustained. I remember asking Liz, will you please double check this number? Because I cannot <laughs> believe that, you know, Kunor uh, consumption has grown 30% in two weeks. This has to be a typo. Then the next phone call was to the supply chain lead and say, uh, are you selling? I mean, are you shipping all of this? And it became really uh, uh, stunning. Uh, to realize how fast, how quick, how high these peaks of demand happen. And the supply chain did a magnificent job uh, to respond as quickly as they could. And it's interesting because we've gotten a lot of accolades um, for customer service responsiveness against the backdrop of the worst customer service KPIs we have ever had. I think like uh, you... You were in the 80s in some categories, and our target and our delivery has always been yeah, yeah, in the upper yeah. 98s. Gotcha. How did the pandemic affect your innovations? I know you came out with a few innovations and new products during the pandemic, but it all probably shifted some of your plans for, for future launches. <laughs> future, uh, present and future, I would say. So uh, it was interesting that I, I would probably take the most emblematic of these changes. So um, in the beginning of the pandemic, I received this phone call from the guy who runs skin cleansing globally. And he says, Fabian, we should get into hand sanitizers. And I said, hey, you know, been around a couple of times in the hand sanitizer business, and that business comes and goes with the same speed. People are going to 
perhaps uh, you know maximize their consumption. But I have too many priorities to worry about hand sanitizers. So, like a uh, half an hour later, he calls me back and says, "Hey, maybe we should get into hand sanitizers." So you know, he called me like ten times that day, and I said, "Perhaps we should get into hand sanitizers." So uh, within six weeks, we had stood up three factories here in the U.S and factories outside of the U.S. that were able to meet FDA demands and FDA standards so that we could get into hand sanitizers. And we stood up a business that saw us uh, get leadership of hand sanitizers in uh, Walmart, for example, with 38% share uh, in the middle of September. And uh, we did that in six, six weeks. And we had uh, product specs from the past, but we didn't have them branded. So we ended up bringing first in Suave. And then we introduced the Dove hand sanitizer that uh, not only uh, kills 99.9% of germs, but also uh, moisturizes your hands. So we did indeed get into hand sanitizers and that drove our, our growth along with liquid hand soaps and obviously body wash to unprecedented levels. Uh, seventh generation also saw increases in demand that were multiple, especially in disinfectants. And that put a great challenge in the supply chain because uh, you, we needed to yeah. get the, the the usually hard to find chemicals that go into, into seventh generation at higher levels and the suppliers were not ready to uh, speed up as fast as the market, but we were able to to uh, find the salt for that. And in food and refreshments, what we have seen is just absolute madness. Uh, so I, I don't know what is it with pandemics and mayonnaise, but boy, we're, it's 24-7 uh, it's, uh, what is happening. And also with ice cream, though that one I understand because I myself uh, find comfort food quite uh, important <laughs> these days. And uh, the amount of innovation and the amount of sheer production of not just the Ben and Jerry's and the Talentis of the world that were growing fast before the pandemic, but some of our classic brands like Popsicles or uh, Briars, all those brands were growing at a uh, fast pace. And uh, it, it, it has been amazing what we have been able to do to innovate in not just new products, but innovate in the ways we were bringing those products to consumers. Because if you think about it, before the pandemic, we were running a very efficient supply chain. So we had maybe 5-10% capacity and yeah, utilized at the max. And our engineers and supply chain planners figured out um, through machine learning and uh, advanced analytics what was what were the right skills for the right customers at the right time and deploy that uh, intelligence so that we could supply the market. So I, I think innovation went far beyond new products. He went inside the company to find better ways to cope with unprecedented change. And that, to me, is a reason for celebration. And uh, again, it's one of those lessons that needs to stay with us, because although the pace of the market change, I hope, is not as crazy fast as it was last year, I think we now know how to respond to uh, consumer needs that are uh, unanticipated and unmet much quicker than ever before. So very proud of what they have done. And... Uh, are quite conscious of what we need to keep. As we wrap up, what uh, keeps you up at night for the 2021, um, for the new year? Is it emotion, <laughs> energy? You know, just, you can only, you know, be in high adrenaline, you know, crisis mode for so long. And then it takes a different kind of leadership, I think, to to lead in the second year of craziness. So 
Or are there specific uh, trends that you see that you think are sustained? You already mentioned e-commerce is obviously another an area of continued investment and innovation. But just yeah. curious as you've, you're taking a minute off or whatever or deciding to do your work from another, another state, but hopefully getting a couple hours off, is there anything that has you thinking, wow, this is 2021 and it's a little bit different than last year? Well, uh, let's start by recognizing that 2021 started with a bang because on the 6th of January, we were all thinking, gee, what is, what is this and what are the consequences of what's happening? If I put that to one side, but uh, as, a, as a sharp reminder that uh, things in 2021 were not returning to normal because the world didn't change overnight on the 31st of December. Uh, the first thing that I would say is we are assuming that this pandemic is with us at least through the summer and that there is not such a thing as a return to normalcy. Uh, we are going to return to some uh, new ways of living with COVID. So we have to respond to that challenge from an, a consumer, customer, and an organizational point of view. So for the consumer, obviously, this conversation we just had on innovation, increase the pace, ensure that you are responding to these emerging trends that are going to stay and be flexible to return to the trends that are going to revert once the, that normalcy is reestablished and people start to go back to offices and resuming economic activity. So with customers, is the shift in customers is very important because all of them obviously have benefited from e-com, some more than others because some were better prepared, uh, but um, most of them need to now have a much larger component of e-com, but brick and mortar remains their most important uh, outlet with the exception of the pure play retailers. So we need to continue to respond to that. And as the consumer comes back, as traffic returns, we need to be ready to respond. But that is towards the second half of the year, I believe. And uh, when it comes to the organization, I think the single most important we, uh, challenge we have as leaders is to keep our people motivated and driven through the continued tribulations of some form of lockdown and restricted living, because we're all tired of being home. We, we have demonstrated that when we're all home, we can work productively. And those are, for those of us who have the luxury of working from home, the people who are working from the plants are tired of having to use the PPE and having to, in a way, risk their lives uh, to do their jobs, uh, despite the great uh, safety measures that we have taken. And uh, obviously, we, are, we all want to get out of these conditions, but we can't. And... Uh, that, that means that everybody has cycles. Every individual has cycles. And we as leaders need to be consistent at the top that we have to be absolutely watchful that our employees are safe, absolutely watchful that we're leading by example to make sure that we keep our energies high. We give them the clarity they require, the resources that they need, and uh, the understanding. I think this is most important. And the empathy that they deserve. Because at the end of the day, it is the effort of everybody who has very different needs. Some people are having kids at home. Some people are having are missing their kids because they're not home. Some people are missing their friends at work. And some people are just uh, uh, depressed because the situation is so unbearable. So that to me is the single biggest leadership challenge we have is to keep our organizations thriving through yet another year of this. And uh, by the way, make no mistake, I don't want to be the prophet of doom, but uh, 2022 is going to come and we are still going to be wearing masks. So 
uh, you know, maybe by then they will be nicer to wear or better to breathe through. But uh, I, when you talk about herd immunity as the ultimate uh, exit of this crisis, that's not going to happen that quick. But we should we should finish on an uplifting uh, tone, and I think the uplifting tone is uh, I I do believe there is growth in this market. I think the economy has hit its bottom, and uh, I am encouraged. But what I hear, this is not a political statement, but uh, obviously having clarity from from the top as to vaccinations, as to recovery of the economy, and as to um, restoring. I guess, clear direction for the country will give us a framework for us to help our people see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that we can, uh, not all the companies, but many companies, especially ours, we are in a place, in a position to thrive as we go forward. Look, a positive is um, new habits have been formed and the emotional connection to your families and your homes and your your CPG experiences have been solidified by a systemic pandemic crisis. And I think that what you do and what we you do in terms of serve consumers and, and, and create moments of delight and provide high quality products, you know, are going to be more important tomorrow than they were yesterday. And I think um, that is a positive, right? We've all, like, it's in all our surveys, right? You know, people have used this industry's products as a way to create normalcy, to create comfort, to create connection, to create family, to experiment with new things, to get healthier. You know, we do self-care studies that people are just more concerned about health and safety and and want to try and, and have positive experience in their home. So I think, um, especially given the pandemic's not going to disappear like it did in the rare New Zealands and so, I think it's a, an evolution of a lifestyle and a lot of people are going to go back to the comfort of family and stay with it. We've got, you know, most people have connected with their families and a few of them have been positive. You no, know, most people have had a positive experience in this new world, trying all sorts of new things. And I think that um, that's a big positive for an industry that was, um, you know, talking about private label and, fast shipment of mediocre product. I think there's a, you know, the whole premiumization we've been talking about. Consumers are are gravitating to higher quality experiences in their and, home. Uh, I think this is very insightful uh, because at the end of the day, they have rediscovered the joy of consumer goods. Yeah. yeah. The joy in the Five words, things. better said, but yes, the joy of, of, of um, quality experiences with their families around the products our industry makes special. Absolutely. So, I mean, for sure there is hope. And I think this is, uh, this is what we need to keep in mind. We need to give our, our organizations and our peers, our partners, a common view that things are only getting better from here for this industry. Yeah. And I think adrenaline sustained us in um, 20 and maybe the... Um, 
caring and enthusiasm can sustain us in 21. Uh, I sure hope so. Indeed. Well, thank you, Fabian, Andrew, and Jennifer. That was that was fascinating. Some really insightful takeaways rooted in a foundational and really unwavering commitment to your people, your consumers, and your retailers. Um, so thank you for taking the time to share your perspective. Uh, for our viewers and listeners, I want to recap a few of the key takeaways that I gleaned from the conversation. We learned about Fabian's personal passion for impact at scale. Additionally, your desire to be part of companies with meaning and purpose and shared values and mission. Fabian, I know you wake up every morning thinking that you can make a difference, which is truly inspirational. These critical foundational elements are key to success, both in good times as well as bad as you shared. Unilever clearly shares these values and philosophies, and this alignment has played a pivotal role in your success to date, no doubt. Just as you joined the company, the pandemic hit, and you turned your attention to three critical areas. First, the safety of your people, Second, the continuity of the company. And third, support of the communities you live and serve. Fabian, I know many companies might have easily shied away from this third area, but not Unilever and certainly not you. You talked about the critical elements of success as you tackled the COVID crisis. You talked about the power of clarity and transparency, clarity of objective, of mission, of communication, and last but not least, expectations. You also shared how your previous experience in disasters and crisis in other roles prior to joining Unilever and being a Venezuelan national helped prepare you to deal with the COVID crisis. I thought your perspective on the partnership with IRI and the role we played was really interesting. You talked about the power of resources and access to a partner that was truly at the forefront of what was happening with consumers. You spoke about how IRI was ahead of the curve and had a real-time pulse, a fact-based frontline understanding, and how IRI offered the best protection for Unilever as to what was about to happen. You also spoke about the power of experience, data, and access paired with technology to insights that empowered Unilever to take action and act quickly. You had to stay one step ahead and the technology and the data enabled you to do that. I thought your comment about the greatest opportunity in figuring out how to continue embracing your agile decision-making practices to keep the elephants dancing, as they say, was very, very interesting. Your focus on inclusivity, sustainability, and social responsibility is certainly admirable. It's essential to building relevant relationships with consumers, but more importantly, the right thing to do for society. And I wholeheartedly agree. I thought it was interesting when you said your ultimate goal is to leave behind the most inclusive, agile, and responsible company in the industry. I wish you all the success in that, and I have no doubt you will be supremely successful. Switching gears to the operations of the business, you talked about innovation and how COVID accelerated trends more than really changing trends, prompting Unilever to accelerate its innovation efforts dramatically. For example, standing up a hand sanitizer business from the ground up within six weeks that led to unprecedented returns. That's really impressive. 
You also talked about how some were hits and others were less impactful. And the, the, the power of balancing those is really essential. You spoke about how you un, um, eliminated unnecessary activities, rather focusing on the big things with big payoffs, winning big with big brands and big retailers. Of course, you talked about the explosion of e-commerce, embracing e-commerce and innovating for this new medium with 70% of e-commerce efforts increasing market share. Of course, you talked about forging new and different relationships with retailers in this wake of the pandemic, bringing them solutions to their unique problems and bringing those solutions to them quickly so that they can act with confidence. You talked about the heroic role that your supply chain team played in this disruption. Incredible, incredible disruption as you characterized it a truly a black swan event with tremendous response and customer support. You spoke about how the single biggest challenge for your organization in 2021 is how to keep everyone motivated and going strong as we slowly exit the pandemic in 2021. As you said, we're rediscovering the joy again of consumer goods. There's growth in this market and opportunity abounds ahead. Well, I don't think we could agree anymore. For our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available at our website, www.iriworldwide.com. We hope that you'll take the opportunity to review our other thought leadership, including valuable reports and a dashboard of economic indicators. With that, thanks so much for joining us today and have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.